listening to KJOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local news, music, and culture. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. As a reminder, Jackson Unpacked is now available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Please subscribe today and help support Jackson's only nonprofit newsroom. Leaving a rating and telling your friends about the show also helps us continue this work. Coming up on today's show, the summer event series Music on Main is back on in Victor starting this week. I think I can speak for almost everyone when I say that we are incredibly excited to have live music back. Plus, a regional look at how severe drought conditions are impacting the mental health of farmers and ranchers across the West. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like, should I be doing this? Like, does this make any sense? But first, local businesses from restaurants to the rec center are struggling to find employees this season. So much so that many are cutting services or hours, and soon some might have to close completely. KHOL's Will Walkie has been talking to area business owners, and he reports on what they say is the main reason for the dire labor shortage, a lack of affordable housing. A rambunctious mix of German shepherds, poodle puppies, chihuahuas, and more are all interacting with each other at Dog Jacks, a kennel and doggy daycare south of Jackson. Do you ever get sick of the, of the barking or not? Really? Just tone it out. Just tone it out. It seems completely chaotic, but the owner of the business, Guru Sasurbude, says that's actually the point. Humping is very common. Uh, barking in the face is very common. Trying to fight with somebody, even their social dogs, is very common. And we keep all that at bay. That's our job. Saucer Brude has owned Dog Jacks for two years. He's originally from India and moved here under a J-1 visa. He also says no other kennel in town handles as many dogs as he does, somewhere between 50 and 100 a day. Like I, I personally work and work and work and put my energy into a dog to make them socialize so that when they go out and on a trail or in the party, they are behaving very well. Dog Jacks also usually provides training and grooming in addition to doggy daycare. But a few weeks ago, Saucer Brudet had to suspend those services because he can't find enough qualified employees. He normally needs at least a dozen people to run his business. Right now, he only has four. There is literally no groomer in 50-mile radius, and people are crazy. They call us every day. At least 10 people call every day. And we are losing. So the previous owner made almost $400,000 on grooming. We are missing that revenue just because nobody can find freaking housing here. Saucer Brude says he often gets applicants who are ready to take a job, but then they have to bail because they can't find a place to live. He and his wife, Priyanka, have had to move into an apartment above Dog Jacks themselves to save money. Priyanka works as a cleaner in town and often helps at the kennel. But the couple is starting to burn out. Just to give you a general idea, I haven't had a day off in three months, and neither she. Three months, and we work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. seven days a week. That is a lot on us, too. Saucer Brude says he's seen increased demand for his services this year, as more people are moving here and buying or adopting pets. But he's still had to close on Sundays and is considering shutting down on Saturdays as well, because his limited staff just can't handle the workload. If these trends continue for another six months, Saucer Brude says he'll have no choice but to shut down completely. I have tremendous amount of business, but no way to provide it. Like, I, 
physically i'm the only person who's experienced handler at the moment in the whole facility and we get 60 70 upwards of 100 dogs i cannot manage 100 dogs this is inhumane to dogs and me Dog Jacks is far from the only business affected by this season's labor shortage. The Teton County Library recently announced that it has to close on Sundays, and the rec center is also limiting its hours of operation. But perhaps the largest sector struggling right now? Restaurants. Crazy times. It is. It is. Over Teton Pass in Driggs, Caroline Personet is working behind the bar at Royal Wolf a local dive bar with a pool table in the back and vintage neon beer signs hanging on the walls. Personette is bar manager, and she says the restaurant never used to struggle to find employees because it's such a fun place to work. Not so much now. Just, it's hard. I mean, both front and back have just been short, and that's the reason why we are shut down on Wednesday, just not enough people to keep us open seven days, and not enough applicants. People apply and then don't show up. Many of Jackson's most famous restaurants are limiting their hours, too. Graham Swain owns and operates several restaurants in Jackson and in other states. He recently had to cut a day of operation at Pallet, one of his businesses north of town. So we closed down on Sunday, and it was just, it's, it's our employees that are at their exhaustion point early in the season. You know, we're used to it in September's after a, a, a bludgeoning that you have over the summer and everything, but we're having it early season. Swain says he's also been pitching in as a busser, dishwasher, and host over the past few weeks just to keep Pallet running. And it was probably one of the worst services I've ever put together in my total restaurant history. That's when he made the choice to cut hours a few days a week. And I'd rather protect my brand and our name and our employees and shut down than service the public Swain's worked hard to try and retain workers, including raising wages, but he's still never had this much of an employee shortage. He says it all comes back to housing. A chef of ours from another restaurant in another state that's come here, and this, this last time, I couldn't even get a house for him. I had to put him on a camper on my site. Like Day of Dog Jacks, Swain says he's, quote, one broken leg away from closing some of his restaurants down entirely. Peak summer season is when his business makes most of its money, so he's losing revenue with every hour he can't stay open. So when you see great restaurants, when you see them closing down on a, on a summer night, um, on a weekend summer night, you know damn well there's an issue. In light of the situation, Swain is asking folks, if they can, to tip a bit more than usual. He also urges the local government and private developers to build more affordable housing and fast. When I leave a place and I, oh man, don't go there, that's, that's horrible or whatever, you don't want that. And we're not there, but I mean, we're flirting with it. Ryan Newray, a board member for the housing advocacy organization Shelter JH, agrees that the community is approaching a breaking point. Businesses have reached out to their representatives saying we need immediate rent relief. We need something from our local municipality for relief now. Nure advocates for real estate transfer taxes and higher lodging taxes as potential solutions. But that revenue generation might not come in time to help businesses like Dog Jacks. If the entire community doesn't think it's an essential business, they need to rethink. Because when we are not here, they're going to start realizing that. Saucer Day also points out that several local elected officials take their dogs to his kennel and used to get them groomed there. Maybe, he says, it'll take him closing down for some of them to realize just how bad the employee shortage has gotten in Jackson Hole. Will Walkie, KHOL News.
After a year of forced hiatus because of the pandemic, the popular free concert series Music on Main in Victor returns this week. KHOL's Kyle Mackey spoke to one of the event coordinators about some of the national and local artists who will be taking center stage on Thursday nights throughout the summer. Kate Driscoll is program director for Music on Main with the Teton Valley Foundation. Kate, thank you so much for joining us on KHOL today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. So Music on Main, like so many other events in 2020, had to be canceled because of the pandemic. What does it mean to have the event back this year? I think I can speak for almost everyone when I say that we are incredibly excited to have live music back uh, and be able to dance and sing outdoors again. We did do an effort last year with Music on Mainstream um, to still have a bit of live music. So we got our fix a tiny bit, but to have the free outdoor concert series is just, you know, we're absolutely thrilled. And I know many of us are ready to totally ditch our masks and forget about COVID, but are there going to be any safety precautions in, in place this year that folks should know about? Yes. Yeah, so we are switching. Um, we normally do our reusable cup program uh, during the summer, but due to COVID, we are switching everything to cans this year. Um, so you'll just be getting your cans of wine, beer, cider, um, anything like that, just to kind of limit the interaction of the used cups with trying to pour stuff into it. So that will look a little different for folks coming into the venue. Um, we are going to have signs up, you know, please be aware just to wear a mask. Maybe if you're kind of in a group that's not yours or, but it is all out in the open. Um, we're hoping everyone is being as responsible as possible when they're coming to the venues and they're making smart choices. And we are just going to roll with it and hopefully, uh, you know, it'll all work out the way we want to. So it sounds like masks are going to be perhaps encouraged, but not necessarily required. Yes, it's we uh, kind of have a saying like it's no small ask to wear a mask and just, you know, we don't want to anyone to feel uncomfortable. And so if you're wearing one, we totally support that. And we probably will have most of our staff wearing um, masks as well as they're dealing with food and beverage. But if someone's vaccinated and they're comfortable being near their people outside, I mean, please go for it. <laughs> OK, so let's talk about the fun stuff. Can you tell me about some of the national acts who are coming to play music on Maine this year? Yeah, we have a, a pretty stellar lineup um, for 2021. So this week we are kicking off music on Maine with the broadcast. They are a soul rock group that have seen some powerful female vocals and um, they put on quite a performance. If you've seen anything of theirs online, it's going to be a fun show to watch. Um, we have a Zydeco band, Dwayne Dupes and the Zydeco Hellraisers that are coming for our second show. You'll see some returning names like Young Dubliners. We have Jackie Venson, Lone Bello. For our country fans, Mickey and the Motorcars will completely steal the show on that night. Ghost of Palavir, which is personally a favorite because they are from Portland, Maine, and that's where I moved here from. And I can't believe that that could even happen in this life, that the band that's big time in my hometown is gonna come play at the Victor City Park stage. And then we're closing it with a double headliner this year, which is new for us. And we are going to be really excited for that show. <laughs> Who's the double headliner? Yeah. So our double headliner is Ryan Shoup and the Rubber Band and Turquoise, which is returning. Um, they are returning again and going to end on a very funky note. If uh, you know their music, you know what I mean. <laughs> and I understand there's also going to be a local opening band every week. Who are some of those groups? 
Yeah, so um, minus our double headliner, the last show on August 12th, um, all of the openers for the previous shows will all be local. Um, we have a couple of new names this year, some returning, but the new ones are Skeddy, Inland Isle, which uh, both these bands people recognize faces from because they are in other bands around the community. So, and Strum Bucket is another new one as well. So we're really excited to have some new faces on the stage at Music on Main. All right. So Music on Main is organized and benefits the Teton Valley Foundation where you work. Can you talk a little bit more about what the foundation does? Yeah. So uh, Teton Valley Foundation is just trying to bring things to the community that normally wouldn't be possible, i.e. bringing in national acts for free to our Victor City Park. Um, Another program that we have is at our Kotler Ice Arena. And each week at the shows, we do theme nights to benefit Teton Valley Foundation. And our first theme night will actually be Zampane Night, which is our campaign for our Zamboni. And just benefiting, you know, the hockey scene at Collar Ice Arena. And each night we'll have a different theme. So people will get to learn more about what uh, Teton Valley Foundation does. All right. Well, Music on Main kicks off in downtown Victor every Thursday night with music starting at 6 p.m. this week. Kate, thank you again for joining us today on Cage Well. Thanks, Kyle, and can't wait to see you at the show. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked on KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local and regional news, music, and culture. Jackson Unpacked airs Wednesdays at 7.30 a.m. and Fridays and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. You can also now listen and subscribe to the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app. Coming up next is a regional story that comes to KHOL through the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Collaborative. Across the West, drought conditions are the worst they've been in nearly two decades. The dry weather is hitting farmers and ranchers particularly hard, who need water for their crops and livestock. But it's not just their bottom line that's being threatened. The effect of drought and climate change on ag workers' mental health is increasingly concerning healthcare providers. As a warning, this story discusses suicide and may not be suitable for all listeners. Lucas Brady-Woods reports from KSJD in southwest Colorado. Mike Nolan has been a farmer for about 18 years. I don't like gardening. Like, <laughs> I like farming in the sense of, like, I like tractors, I like equipment, I like big harvests. His farm is in the Mancus Valley at the base of southwest Colorado's snow-capped San Juan Mountains and across from the bluffs of Mesa Verde National Park. In a normal season, Nolan grows up to seven acres of crops, anything from turnips to squash to tomatoes. This season, though, he's had to cut his crops down to less than a single acre. These fields should be cultivated and prepped and looking good, but they're covered in grass and thistle. That's because Nolan's farm and all of its neighbors are experiencing extreme drought conditions or worse, and that's limiting water supplies for the region's farmers. Alfalfa farmers ideally need 30 inches of irrigation water per acre per season for their crops. This season, though, some farmers in the county are only getting a fraction of an inch from their reservoirs. As a result, farmers have to make adjustments, and some of the sacrifices they're forced to make can be really hard on their mental health. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like, should I be doing this? Like, does this make any sense? That stuff just builds. Um, And it's, on seasons like this, it's, it can crack, you know, and that's the scary part. 
Nolan's not the only one noticing the mental health effects that drought is having on farmers. According to data compiled by Celebrating Healthy Communities, a Colorado-based suicide prevention group, farmers and ag workers are the second highest at-risk population in the county where Nolan farms. That means they're more likely to die by suicide than almost any other occupational group. And the data show another concerning correlation. Researchers also compared the state of Colorado's drought data for the past decade with the state's suicide data for the same period. When drought conditions worsen, so does the suicide rate among farmers. J.C. Karika, the CEO of Southeast Health based in La Junta, isn't surprised by those findings. He specializes in behavioral health care in rural communities. There's seasonality. I think there's peaks of anxiety, peaks, you know, peaks of depression. It's, it's ever flowing because it's, again, weather-related or, or market volatility. He also says that drought can be especially devastating. When you see the wind come through and shear off whatever little bit of grass you had from a quarter inch of rain uh, a couple days prior, it's kind of the carrot and the stick, and sometimes there's just not enough carrot to keep, you know, to keep people's hopes high. Many mental health issues in the ag community can be compounded by lack of services. The answer, Karika says, is to make more of an effort to get mental health care to farmers on their level. Kate Greenberg is the Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of Colorado. As we see financial stress increase, as we've seen in the, you know, in the last decade or so, we also see spikes in suicide rates among agricultural communities. Greenberg says her department is working with local partners across the state to get more resources to rural areas. What works in a city might not translate to agricultural communities. So, she says, resources like online training manuals or public service announcements should be written with that in mind. Colorado also maintains a crisis hotline, a free and confidential mental health resource that's available 24-7. But as climate change continues to heat up and dry out the West farmland, Greenberg says water stress will remain a challenge to keeping agriculture viable and those who do it mentally well. Back in the Mancus Valley, Mike Nolan says this year's lack of water is changing his operation in a fundamental way. The big one was laying off everybody, which was a real bummer. Never had to do that. It was really hard to do. But Nolan says off and on therapy has really helped. I just look at it as a feast of famine. We're going to have a hard year this year. We'll figure it out. Um, We'll hope and pray that it'll be different. He says if it's not, then he'll take the year off, get a job away from the farm, and pay his bills. Then he'll see what he can do down the line. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Cortez, Colorado. With the snow quickly melting out across the Mountain West, a duo called the Musical Mountaineers will be heading into the hills to play music in some unexpected places. KHOL's Emily Cohen has the story about performances that almost no one gets to see in person, but which thousands of people are discovering online. Mountain peaks, frozen lakes, and tulip fields are just some of the places that violinists Anastasia Allison and pianist Rose Freeman have taken their instruments. The duo, known as the Musical Mountaineers, regularly treks miles into the wilderness to perform at sunrise, unannounced and often to no audience. But finding them in the wilderness is a bit like finding Sasquatch. We are pretty cognizant of leave no trace ethics. We've never wanted the Musical Mountaineers to become sort of a show. You know, there's 
nobody up there when we're there. And so we're used to, there's no applause, there's no noise. And if we announced a concert, I think it would lose some of the specialness of that or that maybe the purity of why we're doing it. It does feel like this musical offering of sorts to the universe around us. That commitment to flying under the radar might be surprising given that the pair met on social media and have since gained thousands of followers through YouTube and Instagram videos of their performances. But they say they're not doing the concerts for their online following. Allison, a former park ranger, was working as a railroad police officer when she says she heard a voice in her head telling her to play violin on the summit of a mountain. I had always wanted to do these adventurous things and sort of just always found myself moving through life on autopilot. I've been a violinist since I was four. I've always loved playing music outside, but I didn't really know how to make that happen. Then she met Freeman, the pianist, in 2017, and they decided to go on a sunrise hike in the North Cascades, near where they both live. They packed the usual supplies for any trek in the wilderness. First aid kit, extra clothes, snacks. Except sticking out of their backpacks were also a violin and a 76-key keyboard. Freeman remembers that the first piece they played together was A Shokin Farewell by Jay Unger. It's a beautiful folk tune that has some expressive melodies with some combined harmony chords in the piano, some non-diatonic chords that really are reflective. They bring you into the present moment as a musician and as a listener in a way that nothing else I've experienced in life can do, or very few things in life that I've experienced can do. The YouTube video of that first performance shows them dressed in ball gowns, standing barefoot on a granite slab. When you are up there at the start of a new day, it's like you're seeing the secret that like you get to see this, this beautiful like sunrise and you get to be a part of it, not just like watching it from inside your home. Like you feel like you're contributing to the unfolding of like this incredibly beautiful, colorful miracle that's happening in front of you. So I think that there's this sort of reverence of doing it at sunrise or sunset. That's like Now, four years later, the musical Mountaineers have gained attention from Outside Magazine, the Sierra Club, and the National Park Service. But still, only a handful of people have actually seen them perform in the wilderness. Each person who finds us, I believe that for some reason, like we were kind of meant to find each other at that moment. And it's been interesting that we've kept in touch with either through social media or email, like a lot of the people who have found us in, in the wild because there have been so few of them. <laughs> Most people spot us like on the trail on the hike down because Rose's piano is sticking out of her backpack like seven feet tall. And so it's hard to not notice us. <laughs> Beyond carrying heavy instruments and often trekking miles in darkness, performing in such remote destinations presents other challenges as well. We've played in some pretty high winds. <laughs> like, winds that are so high that I can't even keep my bow on the string. Allison says that they've learned to be flexible and how to improvise their performances, something that is often anathema to their backgrounds in classical music. We might go in with one idea of what we want to play and then maybe that song 
it doesn't feel quite right there. So as you head into the wilderness this summer, keep your ears open for a beautiful melody. Whether it's birds chirping, leaves rustling in the wind, or just maybe, if you're lucky, the musical mountaineers. I'm Emily Cohen for listener-supported KHOL Jackson. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. Tune in for Jackson Unpacked every week, Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. and Fridays and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. And remember to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. <laughs>